I'm deliberately want to preach from down here, and I'm amongst you for this one. <laughs> um, it is a privilege to worship with you all. <laughs> Thank you for worshiping Jesus with me. My, my faith and my walk in Christ is richer because of your voices and your presence and, and your hearts worshiping our King together. One day, in eternity, Revelation says, every nation, tribe, tongue will worship Him. Can you imagine? You think this is good. Wait for eternity. Hey, it's going to be in languages that we can't even pronounce. Thank you for the Kosa words that we could pronounce as a whitey. There weren't any clicks in there, and there weren't any... I can sing. <laughs> I think it was Kosa, or maybe it might be Zulu. Is it Zulu? Where's clips? Is it Kosa? Did we change it from Zulu? We've got nothing against the Zulus, but we're Kosa, eh? Okay, so this, this morning, if you turn in your Bibles to James 4, if you're joining us and you haven't been part of us for the last while, we are, we are as a church preaching through the book of James. It's a letter that James wrote to the early, early church, um, and we are hitting two chapters where James is, as a pastor, um, confronting some of the... The, the behavior or some of the things that he's concerned with in church life, and he's trying to get to their hearts. He's talking about behavior, but he's clearly aiming at their hearts. So he's seeing the, the, he's, the church misbehave or, or behaving in an ungodly way, and he goes, hey, I can see your behavior is not good, but I want to I reach deep and, and penetrate your heart. Um, um, Hebrews 4 talks about God's word piercing as a sword into our spirit and marrow and, and bone, and it divides and it pierces to get to our heart. God's Word always wants to get, not to our behavior, not to our thinking, God's Word always wants to penetrate and reach hearts. Church is about heart. It's God getting to, to the stuff in the inside. And Job is doing this. The, this early church was fighting with each other. They were dishonoring each other. They were gossiping, slandering. They were competing with each other, seeing who's the, who worships the best, who gives the most, who does the most for church. They were a proper, proper mess, this church that he was writing to. Um. This, this week, I was busy preparing at a local, um, Claire does a, a, a cooking class in our house, so I try and sneak out to a quiet coffee shop to, to do a bit of prep, um, and I was doing a bit of reading and research, and on my way out, the, the, the one owner said to me, so Arno, what are you preaching this week? And I'm going, yes, you won't believe it, it's about gossip and slandering and talking and, and, and gossiping in the church, and the guy just looked at me and goes, ha, Good. Um, the church is the worst. This is his words. The flip. This is, I won't say other words he used, but flip. The church is the worst at this. That's why we're no longer part of the church. And my heart just sank. And I went, oh, this is, this is so true. How many of you have heard that? Hey, the church is filled with hypocrites. Just If you want to hear gossip, go join a church. Join, get involved in the church. Don't, like, go to church, but walk out quickly because you don't want to get involved because before long the oaks are going to talk about you. And then a friend was standing next to us. And it was quite funny because he could hear our conversation. This guy said, ah, the church, I think the homeowners associations will give them a run for their money. And I just kind of laughed and walked off. Um, there's a reason, um, if you know us at all, we, we are quite nervous of um, planting churches in small, closed communities. Why do you think the reason is? Because <laughs> everybody knows everybody's business. And it's so hard to keep everybody out of each other's business and talking about each other's business. But... But yet, that's the church, and that's part of us. And my friend, as hard sore as I heard his response to what I'm going to preach, I had to walk out of here going, he's right. This is unfortunately true. 
of the church. I don't know how many of you, but like, often we can look at the church in the early church days or when, when the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church and all those days. And I don't know if you like me, I'm a bit of a romantic. I think that church must have been the perfect church. Surely the early church was the church, the church in Acts. The, the early church must be the, like, if you want to go, what is the church? Like, go to the early, early church. Like, 20, 30 years after the Holy Spirit birthed the church. How many of you have an expectation that that, that church was perfect? Anybody? Nobody? No one? Okay, I've obviously set this up quite wrong. Anyway, I had the whole Nutchez Libre, you know, when Jack Black says, you're crazy, like, like that voice, my kids helped me this week with where that saying came from. But you're crazy if you think that church is perfect. The thing that, that the, I've, got, I've said here, the gospel or gospel unbelief leaves no room for messiness in the church or in our own lives. When our foundation is not the love of Christ or the gospel in our lives, then church has to be perfect and my life has to be perfect. But the more I believe the gospel, the more my foundation is in the love of Christ, the more secure I am and the more honest I can be about my life and what it looks like. The thing that caught my attention about the letter that James wrote to the church is this is the church in Jerusalem. This is the very church that the Holy Spirit gave birth to that we read in Acts. This is the very church, not even many decades later. This is not some church 100, 500 years after Jesus, after the Holy Spirit birthed the church. This is that church. And you, you read James, you're going, was this happening in that church? Yes, that was happening. You see, my friend's attitude, or my, what my friend said about the church being messed up and messy, full of mess and, and politics and gossip and stuff, isn't new. It's actually ancient. It was like that all the time. And it's very dangerous for us as modern believers to, when we view church life, excuse the long intro, but when we view church life to think, Yo, if we could only go back to the church of Acts, or if we can only be like the church in Jerusalem or Ephesians, go read those letters. Every letter that Paul wrote was correcting something in the church went off or went wrong. So we're in good company. And until Jesus comes, if you're part of the local church, you have to almost buckle up and get ready and saying, we are going to go through some messiness. Not everything is going to be clean cut. There's going to be brokenness and there's going to be hurt and there's going to be things that, that, that we should work through. But today we're going to look at our words. The title for this morning is Words Come Too Easy. Not like an old song I grew up with that said words don't come easy. Actually, words come too easy for us as human beings. And we look at gossip and we look at what it does to lives and what it's done to the church. We can look at what lurks in our hearts that causes, where does gossip come from? If it's a behavior, what fuels it? Where does it come from? And then we're going to hopefully land with Jesus not leaving us there, but saying, hey, there's hope for you. There's hope for us as a church. Would you turn in your Bibles to James 4, 11 to 12? Um, I'm sure you're there by now. Let's read together. James is reading from verse 11. He says, Do not speak evil against another, brothers. I love what he does. Do not speak evil against one another. And then he uses a family adjective. He deliberately says brother. What is he saying? Hey, you're speaking evil against your your own family. This is not strangers you're gossiping or speaking about. This is your brothers and sisters that you're speaking against. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. And who's that? 
Christ is our lawgiver and our judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Short two verses for us this morning. Let's pray and let's prepare our hearts for this. Jesus, thank you for all of Scripture. Thank you for James. Thank you for his word. We join with centuries of churches. We come to this place and we go, we're not the only ones. Lord, we open our hearts to your word. We've invited your spirit to come. Would you come with God's word, Holy Spirit, and would you pierce our hearts? Would you do business in our hearts this morning? We invite you to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you all were able to say yes to that invitation with me. Gossip and slandering is a real issue, and it exists wherever you have people together. It, is, it, it exists. It is there. So please don't, um, don't, let's not pretend like it's not part of our lives. Like, what does this church gossip? And do these people gossip or slander or talk? There are levels, and I'm sure there are. But we're going to talk through gossip first. Gossip, James says, do not speak evil against one another's brothers. You can go to the Old Testament, and this was part of it. We go to the, the commands. There's even the ninth commandment that says, you shall not fear or bear false witness against your neighbor. Even the, in the commands, the Ten Commands, Jesus makes, uh, God makes a point of warning us against slandering. In the, in the catechisms um, or statements of faith, in the Westminster larger um, catechism, it asks the question, what are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment, the one I just read, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor? Here are the duties. The answer to the question is, what are, what are the duties required? So if the Ninth Commandment is to be obeyed, what should we do? And the answer to that is, the duties required in the ninth commandment are, are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor. How beautiful is that? Loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name. A ready receiving, a ready receiving of a good report and an unwillingness to admit an evil report concerning them. How well did these guys word this, eh? Okay, just listen to this. This is a catechism. This is the, uh, an ancient church document that says, this is how you should believe and behave as the church. This is centuries old, this statement. I love the language here. The promoting or preserving and promoting of between man and man, between Moses and honor, we are preserving and promoting one another's names. Loving, des loving desiring, and rejoicing in their good name. When I hear Moses do well to rejoice and love and go, hey, that's my brother, that's my neighbor. And I love the last statement that says, already receiving, I'm ready, I'm, I want to receive a good report. I'm so keen that I can't wait to hear good news about Moses. But I'm not keen. There's an unwillingness in me to admit and hear or even an evil report concerning them. I would dare to say that we almost live in the opposite world. We actually get happy and excited in our natural fleshly hearts when we hear bad news about our neighbor, more than we get excited about where we hear good news about them. Oh gosh, I'm the only one. Have you not found yourself getting more, have you never found yourself going, that's horrible, but inside of you there's something, ah, like we get addicted to gossip, like bad news. Bad news sells, isn't that the thing in the newspapers? Good news, like how many websites just live on good news stories? Very, very few. Scott Saws in his book, 
talks about an irresistible faith. And he speaks about gossip in the way that the church talks and, and how it actually counter, it, it is counterproductive to the church when the world hears how the church speaks of one another. Don't go to the quote yet. Whoa, um, way too quick there. Way too quick. Go back. It's too late. That's okay. Anyway, I'm trying to tell a story, Sibokazi. Um, and Scott Sauls is having this conversation, and something happens in his life where, where his wife confronts him, and she says to him, Hey, Scott, the way that you're speaking of your brothers is not healthy. It's, it's like leaning towards gossip. Actually, it is gossip. And celebrating of their weakness and their failure more than you're celebrating the grace of God on these guys. And so this conversation Scott is having with his wife, Patty. And Patty's helping her husband, saying, hey, that wasn't good. I can promise you, Claire's had that. Claire's laughing. Claire's literally smiling at me because my wife has helped me with that. Like Claire goes, Honor, I know you're trying to verbally process things here, but I think you've gone over the edge of boundary of, of verbally processing something to sort a problem, and now you're just gossiping or slandering someone. So Claire can smile at this story because it re- relates to honor. And then Scott Sauls in his book writes this, in his reflection with his wife challenging him in this area, he writes this, no, go for it, Subakazi. <laughs> I often equate gossip to pornography of the mouth because it seeks the same thing that a lustful fantasy seeks. A cheap thrill at another person's expense while making zero effort to honestly connect with or, with, to connect with or commit to that person. In effect, turning them into a thing to be used for the sake of self-serving emotional rush. What a statement, hey? Imagine that is our definition of gossip. We would run for the hills. Like, I do not want to be accused of that. And so we have beautifully godly men that helps put words into things. I credit to the gossip as pornography of the mouth. I asked Sia before we even preached. I said, Sia, this is the quote for Sunday. Do you think it's gonna, it's, is it okay to use it? And we were going, 100%. We have to be real and honest about the radical damage that gossip does and how dirty it is and how ungodly it is. And he puts it like this, and he breaks it up. Pornography of the mouth. He says, number one, it objectifies other human beings. We don't care for the person or the personality, who the person is. We've made an object of the person. We're discussing that, that object. We're not discussing the person and their history and their story and their context and where they come from, who they are, what they're facing. We don't care about that. All we're doing is we're attacking that thing, not even the person. We've objectified the person. It seeks an emotional rush at another's expense, like I just said. You hear that someone that you scratch you with, something bad happens, you can't wait to share their loss or their failure or how badly they've done. I'm working with friends at the moment whose reputations were shot because of silly, stupid things that they've done in their lives. And the thing that they have to fight constantly is just this thing. People have enjoyed sharing their failure widely. I can't wait. Did you hear? Did you hear? I heard this guy. I heard they did this. I heard this is what happened in their marriage. I'm hearing that's happening. And not just in our city. Us, guys. Us. The church. I really don't want us to go, oh, that's East London, or that's our community. No, that's, it's us. This letter's to us as Christians. Lastly, it, it requires zero love, commitment, or accountability to the one being objectified. I have a go at Moses, and all Moses is, is a business guy in our town. I don't have to love him. I don't have to care. 
I don't have to try and even understand where Moses lives or how because I've already used him for my thrill. I've said what I've said and I feel better and I'm better than Moses. I've walked away with that cheap thrill. Can you see how he links it to pornography and the use of, of another human being? Ray Ortland says this about gossip, and I'm just going to read it. It's not on the board. Gossip is our dark moral fervor, eagerly seeking gratification. There's something dark in us that wants to be gratified by someone else struggling or bad news about another person. Gossip makes us feel important and needed as we declare our judgments. Hey, they deserve that. I warn them. We warn them. You could see that happening. I could see this happening in them. I, I, I could tell you that the marriage wasn't going to last. I knew that this guy had an issue with this and he, he couldn't control. I knew this was going to happen. Any of us? None of us? None of us. It's okay. Something, somebody will land on someone. It makes us feel included to know, hey, I'm on the inside. I know what's happening. Hey, I'm on the inside lane. Did you know? Did you hear? Didn't you know? Oh, sure. I just imagined that you knew. What makes them so special that they know what's going on? It's evil, isn't it? Hey? It makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size, especially someone that we're jealous of. Can't wait. Someone that we like, hey, I'm competing. I'm jealous of what they have. And gossip allows us just to cut them down to size. And it's going, uh-uh, down boy. Like, you're not quite as brilliant as you are. We are friends celebrating someone else. You're going, and you talk, and they speak of, the, of your friend doing well. And before you know it, you just put a subtle little thing in going, did you know that actually the marriage isn't so strong and that they're seeing a, 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 a counseling? Hey? Why, we, why did we do that? To take away the, we can't celebrate what they, what they achieved. We're jealous of what they have. It makes us righteous or feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone as guilty. I'm not like that. I don't do that. My marriage is good. I don't have an issue with that. Hey? Gossip can feel good to us in multiple levels, but it is of the flesh and it is not of the spirit. Gossip is of the flesh. It is not of the spirit. And we as Christians are called to live according to the Spirit. That's it. We don't have another choice. If you call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, we say we want to live by the Spirit. And gossip is of the flesh. There is no gossip that's of the Spirit. Unless you're gossiping about the gospel and you say how amazing Jesus is to everybody else. Ray Ortland is a guy that, as elders, I've encouraged our guys to listen and read some of his stuff. He's a, this amazing gospel-centered church planter, church father that looks after many churches. And he says, adultery is a serious sin in the church. And it's often disciplined in the church. But gossip can break and split and destroy churches. He's never been in a church where an adulterous affair split or broke a church apart. Because there's discipline and we, we, we tackle it. But the one area he says we don't want to go to as a church is we don't want to tackle gossip. Yet gossip is the thing that can destroy and break churches apart, can break friendships and relationships, can break marriages apart. And Ray says, for him as a, as a father that, that has shepherded for, for decades churches, I think Ray must be in his 70s. Hey, see how easy? He's in his 70s. He says, more than adultery, gossip is the thing you should fear in any church. Adultery you can work through with a, with a couple, but gossip will can destroy. It's a dangerous thing in our relationships. We all sitting here today, 
Every one of us can say, I've experienced gossip against me, and I know what it's done to me. You can sit here in church and say, I gossiped. If you're honest, if you're brave enough to say, I have an issue or I do gossip, and I, I enjoy sharing bad news, often more than I enjoy sharing good news. And all of us can say, we need either healing from words spoken, too many words against us, or we're saying we need healing from having the need to speak against. Both of us need healing. Whether you've gossiped against or whether you, you, you struggle with gossip and you can't control your tongue, both of us need healing this morning. And I'm praying that God's gospel and Jesus will bring that for us this morning. That's gossip. I just wanted to make it very clear to us as a church how ugly, how evil, how dark, how opposed to the gospel and Jesus, slandering and gossip and your tongue is to the Spirit. I hope I've done that this morning. There's a deliberate use of the word pornography. I want us to be shocked as a church and go, is it that dirty? Yes, it is that dirty. It is that vile and evil and should not be part of our lives as Christians. We all good? Okay. Now, now, now James goes from the, the stark warning to, to verse 11 and 12 where he goes, the one who speaks against his brother and judges his brother speaks evil against the law and the law. You are not the judges, only one to be judged. Nothing worse than a biased referee in sport. Amen? Come on. Nothing worse than a ref. You can see this ref has been bought, or he's blind, or he's for another team. No amens, guys, you all. Who of you yesterday shouted at the ref in the Stormers game? Honors, hands up. Claire goes, Oh no, stop shouting at the TV. The ref can't hear you. I'm going, I'm just venting. I'm just letting him know what my opinion is. In rugby playing days, we used to like, the guys used to get mad at referees, hey? And we used to have this saying, don't shout at the ref. He's not deaf. He's blind. <laughs> it worked for us. And then the ref goes, are you defending me or are you having a go at me? In the meantime, we just called this guy blind. But there's nothing worse. Remember the Lions game when Rossi made an hour-long video? exposing the biasness of, is it Nick Berry? Hey, Nick Berry, the ref, if you don't follow sport, I'm so sorry, you're going to lose all my illustration this morning. But Rusty, like in the first time ever in the world that a sitting coach of a team puts an hour long saying, this ref was shocking. He should never ref a rugby game again. He cost us the game. Then you speak to South African sports lovers and you go, Bryce Lawrence. And everybody goes, whoa, he's... You know that Bryce Lawrence was so poor that a year later he, he canned refereeing altogether because South Africans would phone him at 3 in the morning. They would find his home number and 3 in the morning phone him and, and moan years later after refing, saying you, should, you cost us the World Cup, etc., etc. Eventually he decided, I can't ref anymore because this is horrendous. But no one likes a biased ref. I've got bad news for you and me. <clears throat> this is hard to swallow for me. We're all a bit of, we've all biased referees. You and I are all biased referees. And there's only one referee or judge in our lives that's not biased and not corrupt. And actually able that when he makes a call, no one argues with. Christ. And James is saying to the church, you are all crooked, biased referees. You're all going to make wrong calls. And you're most likely making wrong calls deliberately because you've got a team or you've got a horse in the race here. 
He's going, there's only one who actually can referee or judge lives that has the right to and will make the right call over their lives. And we are just as biased as those judges or those referees. Why are we biased? Because we are all broken and messed up a bit. Anne Lamott said this, and she's American, so excuse their language. What's offensive in their language and our language is different, so I'm not encouraging you to use all her language here. She's a pastor, um, Anne Lamott. She says this, everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy, and scared. Even the people who seem to have it all or more or less together. She's saying to the church, we're all like this, we're all messed up, we're all clingy, we're all insecure, we're all scared, we, we've all got stuff in our hearts lurking that's not 100% holy and yield. There's a bit of brokenness, or there's a lot of brokenness in her opinion. That's a wonderful way of saying, in some ways, that God's grace flows downhill to low places, not uphill to the pompous and the self-righteous. Like grace flows to the, to the lowly, to the, to the sinners. Christ came for the lost. He came for the sick. He came for the sinners. Christ did not come for the religious, the, the ones that knew everything and, and pretended that they were so super spiritual. He came to those who were happy to say, I am a sinner. I have need. The thing that qualifies your life and my life most for Jesus to act and to do and for the Holy Spirit to work in us is not, I've got it all together. It's actually, no, Jesus, I desperately need you. You get yourself to a place in your faith where you're going, Jesus, I need you. You're in a good place spiritually. You're in an amazing place spiritually. It's when I don't need Christ or I don't need His Word or I've got it all together and I'm proud of what I've done and I start looking down my long nose at people that aren't quite like me that I'm in dangerous ground where the gospel can't penetrate, where I gravitate towards a hard heart. There's an old hymn that sings that all the fitness Jesus requires is that we feel a deep that we feel our deep need of him. The only fitness that Christ needs or looks for in your life and my life is Jesus, I desperately need you. That's what he requires from us. Not Jesus, here I come, already done, juiced up on my, my devotions and I'm ready for you. No, Jesus, I need you. You see, when we don't believe the gospel, we lean towards the self-righteous, pompous, I don't, I'm not messy, I don't do that, I don't ever do that. There's a reason we call our church everyday people. We could have chosen other names. I'm sure there are better names out there. But one of the main reasons where we wanted to do away with this pompous, self-righteous, look how special we are. No, no, no. He is special. We are very ordinary. He is extraordinary. And we are ordinary enough to, ordinary enough to acknowledge that we are messy, that, that we gossip that we slander, that we enjoy gossip. Who thought that you're going to get to church and your pastor's going to encourage you to admit that you enjoy gossiping? What? Why? Because your pastor knows that your confidence shouldn't come in your inability to be honest about what's going on in your heart. Your confidence should come in and build, built on the confidence and the love of Christ and the grace of Christ to change us. Scott carries on with his conversation with his wife, Patty. Are you ready, Supercazi? And Patty, Patty says to Scott, he says, yes, you are a mess. This is a wife talking to her husband. Yes, you are a mess, but the darkness in you can never outrun or outcompete the grace of God. What a wife. Wives, thank you. Claire, thank you. Wives, thank you for shepherding us. I am convinced that the greatest gift God gives to us in our faith 
especially in marriages, are our partners that are able to gospel us. Patty, Scott's wife, is seen sinning him, seen the gossiping angle in him, and she goes, yes, Scott, you are a mess. Yes, honors. I can imagine Claire saying this to me. Yes, honor, you are a mess. There's some dark stuff and there's some ugly stuff in your heart. But the darkness in you, honor, can never outrun the, and outcompete the grace of God over your life. We all need a patty. We all need a husband or a wife or a friend that when we sin can say this to us. Hey, Moses. Yes, buddy, you are dodgy in this area. <laughs> like there's some... <laughs> why are you all laughing? God, you know not, Moses nothing like that. Moses, there's some nonsense going on and you are a mess and you are not trusting Jesus and you're acting in the flesh. Hey, but Moses, all your messiness can't outrun and outcompete with the grace and love of Christ. Isn't that what we want to hear? Not, not just stop it. <laughs> hey, stop it. And then, and tomorrow when those feelings come and I do the same thing, just stop it again. No, no, no. Something has to change deep, deep inside of us. I must admit that there are many times where in my own life, I'm overwhelmed by the gap between what I know Jesus wants me to be and who I am. I'm sure we all live like that. With that frustration, I know what you've called me to. I know what a pure heart, I know what a pure mouth sounds like. And then I go, this is me, Jesus. I'm nothing like that. You see, even while we're preaching like this, it won't be difficult or surprising if you listen to this preach and you're not thinking of yourself, you're thinking of other people. There's a good chance that some of us are sitting in church thinking of other gossipers, other people that struggle. And not many of us are thinking, hey, that's me. God, you're speaking to me this morning. See what gossip does? It's them. It's them. They've got the issue. The gospel says, no, I've got the issue. And the issue is not something that, that someone's done to me. No, it's something that's coming from inside of me. That's why Patty says to her husband, hey, Scott, yes, you're a mess. But even the messiest mess in you can't outcompete and outrun the grace of God over your lives. Why should we be in church and not be able to confront our sin if the grace is so amazing? God's grace is phenomenal. You and I should have a freedom to say, I'm struggling. I am a mess. Because I know God's grace is greater. His love is greater. We sing that, don't we? But it doesn't stop us, does it? See, a few weeks ago, our team preached through and we, we got to J James 3. We spoke of our hearts with selfish ambition and, and blind jealousy. And James was saying, the reason you can't control your tongue and why your tongue, your tongue does so much. Remember, this is not the first time in this book that James is, con is talking about the tongue and the damage it does. And he follows up, you, your tongue is destructive, it's uncontrollable. It is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is, what is the other thing? There's three things about it. It's powerful, destructive, and uncontrollable. I can, I can remember my three big points. And in the next passage he says, your tongue's like that because your heart is filled with selfish ambition and with blind jealousy. So he's saying what's lurking inside of you are those two incredibly strong powers that you can't overcome. You are selfishly ambitious. You want, you want yourself and no one else to do well. And when someone else does well, you are jealous for that. You are blind to your own jealousy. You don't want others to, come to enjoy. It's interesting that the catechism says that about jealous towards others. No, no, no. We enjoy when others do well. No, our hearts don't. Our hearts want to be the ones doing well. And everybody going, look at how well they're doing. Our motives aren't pure. Our judgments cannot be pure. 
That's why we want, we want refs that do not belong to the country refing the game. Or umpires. We want neutral umpires. Why? Because we, there's bias in all of us. Next time you watch sport, remember that's you. you that bad ref that you're shouting at. Last night I was shouting, going, oh, I know what I'm preaching tomorrow. I can't shout at this ref, but I have to because I can't make sense of his calls. And, but we won. So that's all that really matters. But Scripture, read the Bible, folk. You see, the problem with, with the gospel and with why I think we struggle with, with gospel maturity in the church is because I think as the church, modern church, or as the church, we, so, we haven't read the Bible properly. Because you read the Bible and you realize the Bible is full, filled with messy people and broken people. People that had adulterous affairs, people that were cowards, people that were prostitutes, people that were, were like sleeping with their in-laws, sleeping with their dads, sleeping with their, their daughters, People like that, all written into the, the chronological story, the narrative of Jesus' life. The Bible's not made of perfect people. That's not who qualifies in Scripture. It's actually messed up. Just go read your Bible. Read all your heroes. Read the first few chapters. You'll quickly realize, whoa, I thought I had issues. Most of us in this room would qualify before some of these guys in the Bible would qualify to be used by God. But Scripture's full of that for a reason. Because the power is not in our perfection. The power is not in that I'm so holy and I'm so spiritual. No, the power is in His grace. The power is in His love for me. I get up in the morning knowing that I'm loved, not because I loved Him well, but because He loved me so much. And His grace can't be outrun. We would do well to be slow to speak, quick to hear. Remember, we preached that a few weeks ago about James. Be quick to, quick to listen, slow to talk. Those advice, that advice is still true for us today. But it's not our job to sit in judgment of others who don't live like that and don't act like that. Now we turn to good news. And I must confess, when you read this passage, you're going, where's the good news? There is good news in this passage. The last few verses says, He who is able to, save or to destroy we live because god chose to save not to destroy us we here today because he christ chose to save not to eliminate everybody that's a human being and obliterate and saying i'm done with humankind christ came to save our hope is not i must stop i'm going to walk out of church and i better stop gossiping i must just try harder no our hope is not in that to find help in this area in our lives, we have to address the root stuff in our lives. We have to take our hearts before Jesus, not just our mouths. We have to almost bypass our mouths and our words and get to our hearts where, because that's the, the well that the words come out of, the attitude comes out of our hearts. It's not our mouths and tongues are just saying what's coming from inside. That's what James tells us very, very clearly. I will never stop, I will never gossip again. Have you ever done stuff like that? Have you found yourself doing something bad? You're going, I'm never going to do that again. And then a week or day or a few hours later, you, oh my gosh, I just did that. Hey? And what happens if we do that enough times? We give up trying. We just go, I can't. I'm, that is just me. Then our identity becomes that very thing we do. Hey, isn't it? I'm just a gossiper. I'm just a slanderer. I just, I'm, just, I'm just judgmental. It's not who Christ says we are, but because we keep failing in our own strength, we kind of, that becomes our identity. 
See, we are not Thomas the steam engine Christianity. We're not like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, no, no. We are Christians because, of the, because we surrender, confess, repent, and believe to Jesus. People kind of often look at the gospel and I go, the gospel is actually straightforward. The gospel story is me coming before God, confessing my sin, repenting and owning and saying, I don't want to do that anymore, but it is my sin. It's not your sin, it's me. My heart is evil, my heart is broken, my heart is jealous, my heart is selfish, my heart compares, my heart enjoys gossiping, my heart is insecure, my heart is selfish, my heart is fleshly. Before God, I'm saying, this is honor, Jesus. This is me, this is not someone else. I'm not a victim here, this is my heart, it's got mess in it. And because I've got a decent view even if it's limited, of God's grace and love, I'm able to confess the darkest sins before Him because His grace will overpower and overwhelm and always outweigh my darkness and my mess. I can go to Jesus. Christianity, you want to confess our sins. Repent. In other words, stop doing it. Go in the opposite direction. Hey? And believe. Receive the gospel. If this is something in your life, in all of our lives, how do we change as a church? How do we change as people? We confess. We own our own nonsense. You go, this is me. Not the Satan. Don't be like Hansi Kroni and blame the devil. No, no, no. There was something in Hansi's heart that wanted something more. He wasn't happy and he was discontent in his portion. He wanted extra. Hansi's issue wasn't the devil tempting him. It was stuff in his heart that he needed to go before Jesus. And I'm not having a go at Hansi Kroni if you're a big fan. I'm saying our sin comes from inside. It's not from, from the outside. We confess everything we have. We confess that we all suffer from selfish ambition. I want it my way and for myself. I want myself to look good. We confess blind jealousy. We confess that we struggle to celebrate when our competitors or our friends do better than us. It's hard. Hey? I think it's Jordan Peterson or Peterson, Peterson that says, Never tell, if you want to know who your enemies are, tell them good news. Because your enemies won't share your good news with anybody. Your friends will celebrate and share your good news. See, who do you, who do you know that you'll share good news to and they'll celebrate and share it? Or who do you know when you share good news, they're just going to go, oh, that's fantastic and move on. Like it never happened. Have you noticed that? In our relationships, there's a bit of gossip in there. No, we turn to Jesus this morning. We're going to break bread together. But we can't break bread without being honest before God. I know that we break bread every Sunday. And we do it deliberately because we want to build a church that's dependent on the gospel. We don't want to build a church that's dependent on their self-righteous works and pompous attitudes, and that they are perfect. A perfect church is a confessing church, is a repenting church, is a believing church. A perfect church is ones that are quick to confess their sins, quick to repent before God, and quick to believe the gospel and receive the gospel as their healing. And this morning, I want to ask you, remember I said we want two healings this morning. <laughs> if you feel that you, have, you are the victim and I don't think there's a person in this room that's not the victim of gossip. 
But some of us might just go, just their words have really, really caused my world to shrink like this. And God, I need to forgive them. And I need forgiveness. Just, just God, as you forgive me, I want to forgive this morning. For you during communion, when you eat the bread and drink the cup, I want you to, in your heart, release those and go, God, I forgive them. I release those words. I forgive these people. Ultimately, your word matters more over my life than their words spoken over me. And then, we want healing. We want to own our own keenness to gossip. Our keenness to celebrate someone's downfall. Our keenness to, or our lack of rejoicing when our friends and our brothers do well. We want to own our own sin in our own hearts and say, God, I am so selfish. I am so jealous. I am so ambitious for my own life. I don't care for anybody else. We can come to him this morning and own that and say, this is me, Jesus. I'm, I'm messed and I'm, I've got a problem. Some of us this morning just be, have to be honest before Jesus and say, I have a problem in this area. I don't know how to stop gossiping. Please show me what's in my heart and please heal me inside. We, we will only stop gossiping in the life of the church or in relationships if our hearts are healed. And I'm praying it this morning, God's word didn't just tickle your ears and you deliberately put some humor in because it's a heavy topic, but that our hearts are pierced by God's word and God's spirit will get in there and heal us this morning. We're going to come to the altar now. There's a table on that side, there's a table on that side. Won't you take some bread and take a cup? Would you invite Christ into your mess this morning? Would you confess where you are? Would you repent? And I want to pray at the end for us to believe in the amazing grace of Christ together. Let's break bread together as a family.